And um, I just want to share my heart with you this morning. Um, you know, God is, is a God who is more than able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than what we can ever imagine. Can you say amen? So in my life, I've seen that how many people have started something and you just never finish it? Can you raise your hand if you've ever done that before? Do you know why you start that? Because you have, an, uh, you have a surge of confidence. Has anyone ever had a surge of confidence? Like a surge of confidence where you say, man, I'm going to be able to do this. And, and you start something because there's a surge of confidence. You feel confident about something. And because you feel confident, you make a decision that you're going to try to build something. And I want to let you know that in the midst of those things, we, in our desire to build, often get tested. Can you say amen? You got to know. It's true. So I've had awesome feelings to do certain things. At times, I've decided to build from the most smallest of things to the most greatest of things. You know, and, and I've learned one thing, that in the midst of me feeling a desire uh, to do something, to build something, I've recognized that I've been tested. And do you know what has gotten me through? Not that my feeling is great or my feeling is awesome. My feeling of confidence is deep. I've learned that I've had to have a strong feeling of confidence. Let me give you an example. The definition of to feel confident and be able to do something, that word that we are defining there is encouragement. How many of us know that the enemy wants to steal our encouragement? See, when, when I've encouraged myself to do something, for example, I can encourage myself to, to get married. I, I can encourage myself to start having children. I, I can encourage myself to say yes to ministry. I can encourage myself to do many things that may be great. They may be powerful plans. They may be deep thoughts. But in reality, if I don't have a strong encouragement, I'm going to be tested. And there are times in my life where I've seen myself... When my, my thoughts and my desires for the Lord that I know that God has given me a sense of confidence and, and the ability to do something. And I've, I've come to a point in my life where it's been tested to such a degree that I say to myself deep down inside, be strong, Leo. Be strong. Not, oh, I have powerful plans. God, thank you for the deep things. No, man. I'm here to tell you that the church needs to have strong encouragement. You have to recognize that there will be seasons in our lives, that there will be ups and downs. And what gets us through is the fact that you have a strong encouragement in what God has called us to do. For many of us who took the vow of marriage, you, you will know that when you said yes, everything was great and you had a, a great understanding and you were confident in something that God was calling you to do. But the minute time took its course and experiences started to happen, it was more than just a great encouragement. You need something strong. Something strong. Because that's the only thing that's going to get you past those times that you are being tested and attacked. You know, how many of us have ever felt a, a feeling of confidence that you're encouraged to do something and you're like, God, I know, you, I know you told me this, but the minute God puts something in your heart, your encouragement gets attacked. And I'm going to label some enemies here. And there may be something that happens in your life that can be labeled as a crisis. But God encouraged you for something. And now this crisis is right before you. 
So what's going to get you through this crisis? A strong encouragement. The fact that God told you to do something. The fact that God gave you the ability to do something. When you hear this word crisis, I don't know if you can relate, but a crisis is something where it seems like everything falls apart. Have you ever been there when God has encouraged you? giving you a word for you and your family, your ministry, whatever the case may be, and God has for sure deposited something from heaven, and the minute a crisis comes, it throws you off. A crisis where everything has lost control and you can't control the situation, and you're faced before this crisis in God. I've been there. It's an enemy, an enemy. A crisis is usually something that you're not expecting to happen. I never expected to lose six children. Never in my life. I never expected to live such lonely, long nights as a minister. I never thought of that. When I said yes to marriage, they never, the Lord never told me all these things that were going to happen to me. He just said, take a step and follow me. And as I took that step because God told me, then I realized that I needed to have a strong encouragement. So today's message is on encouragement, on understanding and being confident in what God has called you to do in your life with what God has blessed you with. And you know, as, as we take steps in this walk and, and we recognize that there are crises that we cannot control when you lose a family member, when you lose a father, when you lose a mother, when things happen in your life where you are at a crossroad. I've been there. You've been there? Let me share a testimony that, uh, that I shared openly on Sunday with my church. And this is the true story. My wife and I, for those who know our testimony in regards to having a child, it, it was a battle. It was a battle. Today I have two beautiful children that I would never change them for anything in the world. But I'll never forget one day we were at Baptist Hospital. My wife had lost, um, I, I really don't know the number of, of children at the moment, but my wife was sitting at the bedside. I'll never forget it. I had a clear view of the window, and um, there was a couple visitors, not many, because we asked that we didn't want them. Have you ever been there? Thank you. And I'm sitting on my chair, and, and I felt as if everything in my life was being shaken. I was a pastor of a church. The church was doing fantastic. A lot of you were there, married some of you guys. I know a lot of people here. Church was booming. Everything was going so great. But inside, I was destroyed. Do I have any friends? So my wife is reading a book, and I'm sitting on my chair, and, and I'm thinking about the weekend, and I'm thinking about going to church, which I did not want to go, and I knew I had to preach, which I did not want to preach. Do I have any friends? So my wife looks at me and says, what's wrong? I said, no, nothing. I'm just thinking. She says, well, I was thinking too. I said, yeah. And she said, well, this Sunday I want to dance for the Lord in her bed. It was an impactful moment of my life. The words she shared with me, she may never know how powerful they were at that moment in my life. There are moments in your life when you go through crisis that the encouragement that was deposited by God will be challenged. It doesn't mean that you're not called by God. It doesn't mean that 
It doesn't mean that you're doing something wrong. It just means that you're just being challenged in what God has told you to do. And that is normal. There are moments in our lives where we face uncertainty. And, and when God gives you a word and you feel like God has called you to do something and, and you're more than able to do it, man, and, and you're doing such great things, the moment you're going to take a step, you feel like things are uncertain in your life. And what does that mean? Where when he says, my child, you can do all things in Christ Jesus. And he's deposited a feeling of confidence in him to do something. And all of a sudden, you have a feeling of uncertainty. What does that mean? Uncertainty means that you don't know how it's going to turn out. Like, I don't know how my life is going to turn out. But I know one thing, that every step that I take, I'm asking the Lord to guide it. And I'm asking the Lord that as the enemy comes and tries to steal my encouragement, that I can keep my eyes focused on the Lord. Because you could be as talented as you want. You could be as blessed as you want. But when you lack encouragement, you're going to be miserable. Miserable. Sometimes people think that things have to be going wrong in order for you to be discouraged. But that's a lie. Everything could be glorious as it was in my life. And deep down inside, man, I was miserable. Because the enemy came to steal my encouragement. My God, I want this church to be a church that can encourage themselves. And I'm going to get into that this morning. What about stress? Anyone deal with stress? Hmm. Not here, right? No, not here. That's the other church down the street. Actually, it's the guy next door. That's, that's who you should be. Pastor, they're waiting for you to share their message over there. Stress, man. What about fear? What about fear? When God gave you a word to do something and you feel confident and you're ready to do it and all these things just come at you, what do you do? What do you do? Well, hopefully the message that I share with you this morning will be engraved as an anchor in your heart and you use it in moments of discouragement. Now, I want to share a verse with you this morning and, and the reason why I want to share this verse is because it's a very important verse. The title of the sermon today is Encourage Yourself. But just because the title is Encourage Yourself, and I will be focusing a lot on encouraging yourself, I do have to let you know that the church is called to encourage one another. Look over to the person next to you. Look at them dead in the eyes and tell them, I want to be here for you. I say this because... In Thessalonians, in the, in the book of Thessalonians, chapter 5, verse 11, it says, Therefore, comfort one another, encourage one another, and edify one another, just as you also are doing. There's nothing wrong with encouraging one another. Actually, the Bible tells us to do so, and to do so in a, in a, in a good way. The Bible calls us to encourage one another, to strengthen, to edify one another. And it's an important, vital part of the church. But I must let you know this, and this is coming from the innermost part of my heart, and I need to share this with you, that there will be moments in your life where the encouragement of your brother will fall short. There is nothing somebody could tell me in my, in my moments of crisis. There is nothing somebody can tell me or write me in my moments of stress that they could ease my soul. Do I have a friend? Nothing. But do you know what did touch my heart? 
when there was no one around and the people's voices fell short and there was absolutely nothing that anybody can do and the only one that could do something was God. When I saw myself in a moment of crisis, stress, fear, and everything that I've mentioned, and everybody's trying their very best because God blessed their soul. They're my brothers and sisters in Christ. But at the end of the day, their words were coming in one ear and going out the other, and I was still empty until I lifted up my eyes to the heavens, and the windows of heaven were open, and God's voice came to my heart. That encouraged me. And not that my brothers and sisters were doing something wrong. It's just that there was such a need that they couldn't meet. So the reason why I say this this morning is because now I'm going to jump into the message here with our brother David. A very well-known verse, a known character in scripture where he comes to a point of his life where his encouragement was being tested. Like the fact that God made him feel confident in doing something. The fact that he was minding his business, attending the sheep, and the high priest is coming and saying, hey you, you're going to be a king one day. And him minding his own business. A man who had many errors and many failures, but a man who had a heart after God. And I want to share his story with you today because I find myself at times really relating to David in many areas of my life. So the title today is Encourage Yourself, and we'll go out of 1 Samuel chapter 30 as you, I'll give you a second to turn there. You know, and the ability to encourage yourself is an amazing trait. The ability that when you are struggling, you can encourage yourself. Now today, I'm not talking about speaking well or self-motivation. I'm talking about true encouragement from the throne of God. The fact that there will be moments in our lives when we look around, there'll be nobody there. The moments in our lives that when we look around and the people you thought would be there will no longer be there. There will be moments in our lives where the, the only thing we see is God and our heart in our hands. David comes to a point of his life where we will read the story and we will read straight through, jumping in and out. I'll give my opinion. I'll talk on some things. And, and I just want to dissect this scripture. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1, it says, Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziglag. Now, for those of you who do not know, this is David's city. This is David's place. He had gone off into battle. And when he got home, the Bible says, on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south of Ziglag. They attacked Ziglag and they burned it with fire. So here's David, a man of God called by God, a man who was encouraged by God, a man who had seen God's hand move with glory and power. He comes to his city. He comes to a place where all I can say is it's a place of pain. Can you say amen? He comes to this place where he wasn't expecting it. It's as if he turns the corner and when he looks at his place, he sees everything burned down. There's nothing left. And as you read verse 2, you'll notice that it says, and he had taken, it says that they had burned their city with, with fire, verse 2, and they had taken captive the women of those who were there from small and great. Listen to this verse. They did not kill anybody but they carried them away. Now, in our lives as 
you know, we read that verse in the second book of Corinthians chapter 4. The Bible says that it is true that we are, but we are not. What does that mean? In the second book of Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 9, it says a lot. It says a lot of things that we are, and it says more of what we are not. It says we are hard-pressed. We are. Can I get a witness? Yeah, we are. You could say that. I am. I am hard-pressed. I am. To say, to not say that would mean that you're a liar. You know, it's difficult for me when you encounter these super spiritual people that think, you know, that, you know, I don't know, like nothing's going on in their lives. I'm like, dude, let me know your remedy, please, because I, I haven't yet learned it and I just haven't learned it in, over, in almost 15 years of pastoring and, you know, almost my whole life in the church, I just don't know the remedy you got going on. Because the Bible says we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Can somebody say, but not crushed? So you are hard-pressed. We are hard-pressed, but we are not crushed. It says we are perplexed, but not in despair. We are, but we are not. You get it? Verse 9, persecuted, but not forsaken. We are, but we are not. What does that mean? That we have a hope. We have a living hope in Christ Jesus. And I love this verse because in verse 2 it says that, you know, their, their land has been burned down. Their family has been taken away. But it gives them a, a, a sense of hope in here where it says that they did not kill their family. And that's amazing. How many of us know that in the moment of crisis, sometimes we can't even see the little bit of good? Hmm, right? Like you read this story and, and, and you're like, man, that's, that's some serious stuff. And you're going to see in this story how the men react and how David react. And, you know, most of the time the enemy wants to Make us believe like you've lost hope, and in reality, you have more hope than ever. Because what happens is that the enemy wants us to be so distracted and so caught up in the things we are than the things we are not. He wants you to be caught up in the, in the pressed, but he doesn't want you to think in the fact that you are not crushed. So here, the children of Israel, David and his people are here at Ziglag, and they notice that everything is burned down. And you know what, man? If I was them, I'd be pretty upset. I'd be really, really stressed out. As we continue, I don't want to let this go. I want you guys to recognize that Ziglag was a place of pain. Can you agree? It was a place of pain. It was really bad. Verse 3, it says, So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. So verse 4, and, and I really want you guys to pay attention here. It says, then David and the people who were with him, they lifted up their voices and they wept until they had no more power to weep. Have you ever been there? When you cried so much and you wept so much and you prayed so much that you had no power to do absolutely nothing else? See, if you've never been there, you won't understand this sermon. If you've never lost anything or you've never been at a point of despair, you are clueless here today. But when your heart has hurt 
and you've lost and you've looked at your life and you don't know where you're going to go or how you're going to continue, when you've cried so much that you can't even breathe and you doubt so much you can't even believe anymore, do I have a friend? The people of God, David and his army, they come and, and they start weeping so much that they had no more power to weep. Verse 5, it says, and David, and David's two wives, and, and they, they, they took everything. They didn't spare David either. David was in the same battle as they were. The Bible says in verse 5 that they had taken his two wives. And verse 6, and this is, this is where the root of this sermon is going to come from. This is where I'm going to base a lot of my points here this morning as I've, I've based some points already. But this is it. This is the verse. This is what I want you to highlight. This is what I want you to underline. This is what I want you to take home with you. This is what I want you to repeat to yourself when you see yourself again in a moment where your ability to do something, your confidence into doing something gets tested. Verse 6, it says, now, David was what? What was David? Greatly distressed. For the people spoke of stoning him. The people he fought with. The people that were together with him. The people that he, he depended on. When he was alone now. Now, now. now he's alone. Now his own people are so hurt that now... They want to stone him, and David was crushed. David had absolutely nobody to turn to, and God does that on purpose to us. He allows those things to happen to us so that we can run to his throne and encourage ourselves. Don't think so bad about these guys because they turn it around, and I'll, I'll get into that too. It says that the people were greatly distressed, and, and they wanted to stone him. It says because the soul of the people, they were so grieved. Every man for his son and for his daughter. And then, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. So David strengthened himself in the Lord. See, this isn't about feeling good or talking good to yourself or singing a song, or having a meeting. This is about coming before the very presence of God and saying, God, I need you. If you've never been there, this message to you is falling on deaf ears. A moment when you've come before the Lord and you say, Lord, I need you. I need you, God. I know you've called me. I know you've given me confidence. I know that you've given me the confidence to do certain things. But God, right now, I look at this marriage, God, and right now, I look at my children, God, and right now, I look at my finances, God, and I know that you've called me for something, God, but I just can't see this, God. And there's nobody around you who can understand you. A man of God, put in a position of despair, a man of God, who in verse 8, listen to what he says, verse 7, he says, then David said, to Abathar, the priest, Amalek's son, bring me the ephod here to me. See, here's the glorious thing about this and, and the New Testament believer. Here's the glorious thing. David says, hey, give me your garments so that I can come before the Lord. 
And the Bible says in the book of Romans to put on Jesus Christ, to put him on so that your fleshly desires will not take over you. And this is an awesome example of a man of God who was put in a position where he had to seek God's presence because if not, he would have done what his flesh wanted him to do. Can I get a witness? He says, bring me the ephod because I need to go speak to God. What an awesome man of God. What a great testimony. The power of the presence of God. The fact that the book of Hebrews and the gospel, it talks about how God sent his son Jesus to rip that veil from the top to the bottom so that now we can enter at moments when you feel discouraged and at moments where you feel unable and unable to do it, when you've lost all confidence that God has given you. God says, turn yourself around and walk into my holy of holies with boldness. So here... David in the Old Testament puts on the garments of the priests and what they wore in the Old Testament to come proper before the Lord. And I praise God that we have a relationship and not a religion in today's day and age. You know, today's Valentine's Day. Enjoy it. For those people who are single, enjoy it. And I mean it, enjoy it. Don't stress, enjoy it. One day you're going to stress the fact that it is Valentine's and you do have somebody to spend it with, so enjoy it. I've learned one thing between me and my wife, and God has taught me so much in in marriage because it's just a perfect example of of Christ and the bride. I've learned so much between us, and, and really throughout the years, I've gotten to know her a little bit better. She's gotten to know me a little bit better. You guys are saying, well, how long have you been together? Since we were 15, and we're approaching our 40s been together for a while. I've learned one thing, though, is that she wants the best for me, right? And what I've recognized that even though sometimes I feel that she wants the worst for me, I have to remind myself that she really does want the best for me. And it comes through a relationship that I know this. When she says something or does something, I recognize that in a relationship I may not agree with her, but I understand her. Most of you guys think that, you know, you guys always have to be in agreement in order to to work harmony, you know, in harmony together, and that's not true. See, what has encouraged me is my relationship with the Lord. It's not religion. It's a relationship. A relationship means that I know why the other individual is doing it. And when you have a relationship with Jesus, even though you may not agree, you understand it. So if you know that, then your encouragement should never be harmed. Because you know that God wants the very best for you. That's not religion. It's not religion. It's a relationship. Where, okay, God... I've prayed for this and you gave me this, but because I know you're in control, I'm not going to get discouraged. If that job wasn't for me, if that person wasn't for me, if that ministry wasn't for me, I get it, God. You want the best for me. I'm not going to get discouraged. That's a relationship. Well, God, I did this, so you have to give me that. That is a religion. So now when you give your tithe and you're not blessed financially, then you stop your tithe. So if you go to prayer service and your individual you're praying for doesn't get healed, then you stop going. That's religion. That's when your encouragement will be a roller coaster. 
So I encourage you to put on Christ so that your fleshly desires will not take a hold of you. Have you ever said to yourself, man, I, I can't imagine. How, how did I behave myself so well with that guy? Have you ever said that to yourself? It's because you had a little bit more of Christ on you when, when, when that happened. So the Bible says that David went in and he strengthened himself in the Lord. Do you know that I am in the same battle you are in? Do you know that? I love when people think that pastors are untouchable. That is the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. Just because I have to come before you and preach a sermon on Sunday, you think I'm, I, I'm some spiritual guru. Like I have an instructional manual on how to be, I don't know what. I'm as real as it gets. I tell my people all the time, listen, it's not here. It's not going to happen. And the honest truth is that as individuals, we have to recognize that we are in the same battle, right? And, and I want to say this because there are times that I'm so involved in my battle that I don't have time to look over my shoulder. Does that make sense? Like, I'm faced with my own enemies. I'm faced with my own struggles as a pastor. I have responsibilities and I have to get it together. I get it. But I have my own battles. Tito stands beside me. Armando stands behind me. Everyone's standing around me and everybody's fighting. It's a battlefield. And sometimes I don't have the strength or the ability to walk over to Tito and pat him on the back. Say, mi niño, Tito, mira mi niño. I don't have the time sometimes. Sometimes I'm so involved in my own battle that I can't rub you on the back. So don't get offended. Because the Bible calls us to have a relationship so strong that you can do it yourself. So you know what happens? Everyone blames me for it. No, es porque pastor, imagínate, no me llamó. Can you believe it? I was in the hospital and my pastor didn't call me. So what? So what? Nobody calls me. Can I be real? Let me be real. Because what happens is that the people in the church want to use their pastor as a crutch. And Jesus is your pastor. The fact is, is that you want a religion versus a relationship. And the relationship says, go to Christ. So there are times where I kick the devil in the face and I get some breathing room. And I turn to Tito and I hug on Tito and I love on Tito and I'm with Tito. And then I go to Armando and Armando, I'm talking to him. And I have to say, oh, Armando, keep that word in your mouth. I have to get back to something because I have to keep on battling. I can't live your Christian walk. Your pastor can't live it. Your deacons can't live it. Your family can't live it. There are certain things that there's nothing anybody can do. But the only thing that can happen is by getting into the presence of the Lord and saying, God, I need you. God, I need you. God, I need you for this marriage. I need you for this church. I need you for my character. I need you for my struggles. I need you. So verse 8, it says that David inquired of the Lord. That's it, man. That's where it's at. You get a leader who inquires from the Lord, then you got people who are going to follow. Don't look for a perfect leader. Don't look for a, I don't know what you're looking for in a leader. 
I tell my church sometimes, I don't know what you're looking for, but all I can tell you is that I love God and I'm going to serve him with everything that I have. If that's enough for you, get behind me and let's go. It's biblical. Verse 8, it says, so David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I pursue the troop? Do you even understand what he's asking? He has no army. You may be saying, what do you mean, Pastor Leo? Yeah, remember they wanted to kill him? Who's he going to go? Understand David's thought process in the presence of the Lord. In the presence of the Lord, he says, God, do I pursue these people? I would have been like, hey, David, you have no army, buddy. They want to kill you. What do you mean pursue them? How many of us know that when we get into the presence of God, we just start thinking normal? Hmm. And see, now, now the supernatural takes over the natural. And verse 8 says that he inquired of the Lord, asking, shall I pursue the troop? Have you ever been in a situation where you see yourself praying and you're like, God, how can I even pray that? I can't even love that person. I can't even look at that person in the eyes. And you want me to what, God? So listen to this, verse 8. It says, so David inquires of the Lord, saying, shall I pursue the troop? Shall I, shall I overtake them? Like, listen to David's prayer. Don't just go past this stuff. Shall I go, shall I go after them? And sh shall I take over, Lord? Shall I get them? As a leader and as a pastor and as a man of God, all I can say is that, wow, what a heart, man. And look, look at what God tells him. Pursue. Look over to the person next to you and tell him, pursue. 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 Oh, pastor, it's just that you don't understand. You don't understand what I've lost. You don't understand what has happened. You don't get it, pastor. You don't know how, what has gone on in my life. I just can't do that because, and then the list goes on and the list goes on. And here's David with his list and his people alone in a point of despair. And God tells him, pursue. You know what that tells me? Pursue my wife. Pursue my children. Pursue my church. Pursue my ministry. Pursue my family. Pursue. I am, but I am not. Pursue. Pastor, man, what you're asking for me is, is too much. Pursue. And look at the obedience of what God says. Look at the promise here. He goes on to say, Pursue, you shall surely overtake them, and without fail, recover all. Listen, the enemy wants to steal, and the enemy wants to destroy, plain and simple. He wants to steal, and he wants to destroy. He wants to take everything from you and leave you with nothing. And I told my church last Sunday, I am in a season of recovering all. I am in a season of recovering all, taking it back and pursuing the enemy and taking back in the strength and in the power of the Lord. Not in my own strength, not to sit in the mirror and tell myself how good I am and do some rituals, no. But to go into the very presence of God and telling God, God, I need you. I need your strength to love. God, I need you. I need your eyes of compassion. God, I need you. I need your feelings of forgiveness because I can't stand this guy. God, I need you. God says, pursue, son. Pursue. I could just imagine David in the presence of God coming out before his people and saying, well, guys, 
um, let's go after them. These guys just threatened his life. You guys see the same story I'm reading, right? How does David have the ability to come before a people that have abandoned him, threatened him, left him? How does he have the encouragement to come before them and say, all right, guys, we're going after them? You know how? By being in the presence of the Lord. If I have one word of advice for any individual who is here today that is faced with moments of discouragement, my only advice to you today is to put on Christ and cast off every fleshly desire. The fleshly desire to leave, the fleshly desire to hate, the fleshly desire to do what they deserve. Put on Christ and get into his presence. So, you might be saying, man, how did David get all these people to, to follow him? And I told my church on Sunday, I said, listen, you know what I need? I don't need a multitude. I don't need, you know, all I need are people that recognize that I seek God and we're going in this direction. And if you could recognize that I'm your pastor and you could recognize that I seek God, then let's go to war. So the people looked at David and said, Woof, this guy came from the presence of the Lord. Let's go. So it says this as we continue reading verse 9. So David went, he and the 600 men. It says that he and the 600 men went and he came. He came to the brook of Bezor where those stayed who were left behind. You might be saying, what the heck is going on? Well, I'll tell you what's going on. He took a group with him of 600. And when they walked right before the river, guess what? He lost 200. How many of us know that God likes to do more with less? Mm. Mm. More with less. Give me your few fish. Give me your few loaves of bread. Give me your jar of oil. Just give me the less. And I'm going to do so much more. And I love this because David doesn't, David doesn't skip a beat, man. You guys want to stay here? That's fine. But I got to go. You know how many things you have to tell in your life? Hey, I got to go. They loved them. But they didn't stay. They kept going. It says that now in verse 10, but David pursued. He pursued. It didn't stop him because he knew and he had confidence in what the Lord had told him. And he says, it says he pursued. He and 400 men for 200 stayed behind who were so weary that they could not cross the brook. And look, I'm here to tell you today that in any church and in any group of people, there are certain people that will stay behind. Our responsibility and our job as individuals that continue is that when we get back, we bless them and we encourage them and we lift them up. So here we go. He's ready to go into battle. He's ready to go into battle. A lot of us get to this point. A lot of people come and seek God and ask God's presence to be with them. And they're ready to go. And they're very encouraged. And they're faced before their battle. And I've seen two things happen in battle. Either you get bitter or you get better. And I want to let you know that 
in battle, if you are better, then God will produce. And look at, look at David's heart, where it was, and look at what happens. It, it's only because God is in control. Verse 11, it says, Then they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David, and they gave him bread, and he ate, and they let him drink water. Verse 12. This is, this is just crazy. This is crazy. Just listen. Just keep reading. Let me read you like a bet. Just sit there and just listen. Listen to the story. And they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. So when he had eaten, his strength came back to him. For he had eaten no bread nor drunk water for three days or three nights. David is in the middle of battle. He's going to battle. He just recognized that he lost 200 people. I'd be, I'd be stressed out. I'd be really upset. And now I meet this boy, and now I, this, I don't have time for this. I got to go pursue. And then, as we read verse 13, then David said to him, To whom do you belong? And where are you from? And he said, I just want you to listen to this. I am a young man from Egypt, servant of the Amalekites. Say what? Who? I can just imagine the 400 men grasping their swords, surrounding the boy, and David standing before him, this Egyptian, and saying, from where? I was a servant of the Amalekites. Hearts beating fast. You're faced before your enemy. But God calls you for self-control. I'm a young man from Egypt, a servant of the Amalekites, and my master left me behind. He threw me behind because three days ago I fell sick, verse 14. We made an invasion of the southern area in the the territory which belongs to Judah and of the southern area of Caleb, and we burned Ziglag with fire. Oh, it's about to go down right about now. Say what? It's, a, it's amazing how God at times uses your pain for his purpose. But you have to have a sound mind. You have to be encouraged in the Lord to see these things. Any other person would have put the sword to that kid. But David, because he sought the Lord and he had the gifts of the Spirit, which was self-control and everything else that we have, David was in the very presence of God and was able to handle himself correctly. And at times, we sometimes allow ourselves to believe that just because we've gone through hell and high water, we have the right or the ability or the excuse to act like crazy people. So he feeds his enemy. And it's awesome how the Bible talks about preparing a table, a banquet table, so that what? Your enemies could sit before you. This is it. This is it. He says, here's my story, David. This is who I am. And David said to him, can you take me there? Can you take me where they're at? Take me down to the troops. So the individual says, 
swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master. And I will take you down to this troop. Verse 16. And when he had brought him down there, they, there they were spread out all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all that they had stole from Judah. And verse 17, it says that David attacked them from twilight until evening. Of the next day, it says that not a man escaped it except the ones on the camels that ran off. Verse 18, I want you to read that if you can pop that up. I mean, I pray for David rescuing two wives. If it's just one is enough for me, but David rescues two. You guys are saying, Pastor, there's nothing glorious about that. Actually, there's a teaching about that, and guys, you can't have two. It's one, and the New Testament clarifies that. We talked about David's errors. It's not right, but, you know, it is what it is. But I want to focus on the beginning of this verse where it says that David what? Oh, he recovered all. He recovered all. You show me a church who is doing what they're supposed to be doing, and I'll tell you that it is a church that is encouraged. That's all it takes. You know, I'm a firm believer in studying scripture and being a student and finding yourself approved. I'm a firm believer in a lot of things that the church teaches and prayer and everything else. But if you lose your confidence in anything, anything that you're doing, death is right around the corner. If you lose your confidence on the person next to you, if you lose your confidence in this establishment, death is right around the corner. Have you ever seen somebody who has no talent, but they are sure they can do it? I mean, American Idol made a living off that thing. You know what I mean? Totally made a, made, made, made a fortune off people who had so much confidence that it blinded their abilities. You met those people? You met those people? That you look at them and you say, what in the world are you doing? And they don't care what you say because they are confident. God has called them to do that. To a, to a point, that's a positive thing, but to another point, that's a dangerous thing. As a church, we got to be confident in the Lord. We have to be people that recognize that our encouragement will be tested and our encouragement will be put under fire. And that there will be times in our lives where we find ourselves completely alone. And that God is saying, okay, now come to me. Draw near to me because I'm going to draw near to you. The beautiful thing of a relationship, that veil, that beautiful covenant, man, where God sent his son to shed his blood, his blood on Calvary, man, and rip that veil in half so that we, the church, can now enter. We don't got to put anything on. We can just come right in. It's a relationship. It's gospel. Jesus came, died, rose. We have that today. So the story gets even better. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives. Verse 19, sir. Oh, man. How many of us have ever been in a place where you feel it will never be the same? Right? Have you ever been to that place where 
you've gone through something, you say, man, it's just never going to be the same. If you've never been there, you don't know what I'm talking about. If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. When you look at them in the eyes and you say, God, how are you going to do this? And you, and you see yourself in a place that only you know. You find yourself in a place where people judge you for. But only you know what led you there. As a pastor, I have compassion for my people and people in general. But unfortunately, sometimes the church doesn't have the same compassion for the people. And you get judged because of where you're at. And most of the times you didn't get there, you didn't get there just because you got there. It was a crisis. It was a stress. It was fear. It was something that you went through that led you there. And see, nobody knows the prayers at night. Nobody knows how many times you've bent your knee for that. Nobody knows my life. Maybe my wife. Nobody knows what it's taken me to get to where I've gotten. People don't know your moments of weakness. They can judge you for it, but they won't call you for it. They can judge you for it. They won't text you for it. But see, God knows every tear that you've shed and every knee that you've bowed Every moment you've been there that you've had no power to breathe, no power to think, a tear couldn't even come out anymore. Moments when you can't even cry anymore. If you've been there, you understand me. If you've never been there, you'll be there one day. A time where only it was God that was able to take me out of that clay, out of that pit and say, come up, child, come up. See, because the words of encouragement that Tito or Eli might have given me may have encouraged me at the moment. But when I'm in my innermost parts, man, those words fell short. And I needed to seek words directly from the throne of God. Because that's a relationship. A relationship isn't based on what Pastor Regal shares every Sunday or what I share with you today. A relationship is what God whispers in your ear every night and every day. You may be saying, I've never seen that. Well, then you need to strengthen your relationship. Because you may be functioning on a religion. And I'm here to tell you today that a lot of churches are based on that, even though they don't want to admit it. It's based on popularity. It's based on a lot of things that will get the crowds and the people in. But the moment your encouragement is lost, I want to know what's going to get you out. The hip, cool stuff? Ain't going to get you out. You know what's going to get you out? Putting on Christ and going into the throne. Give the Lord a clap offering this morning. Amen. So it said in verse 19 that David recovered all. He recovered it all. Verse 20. This is one of my favorite parts of the story. It gets better. Then David took all the flock and all the herds that had driven before the others. Who are the others? Well, we'll find out in a bit. It says that they, they had driven before the other, the livestock, and said, this is David's spoil. Verse 21. Then David came to the 200 men who had been so weary that they could not follow David. 
I don't know if I would have passed by them and just stabbed them with a sword. I don't know what I would have done. All I know is that I went to battle and they didn't come with me. You know the story of the prodigal son? You know that story, right? You know that brother, that famous brother, right? Right. That spirit was around long before him. So here's David, and he comes before the 200. And the men who were weary and could not go and follow David, and he, he made them stay at the brook. They went out to meet David. They ran to David and to meet the people who were with him. And David came near to the people, and he greeted them. There is something amazing divine and supernatural that you possess when you go through your battle. Something that your battle produces in you something better, not something bitter. When you experience God to that degree, you can use your battle to bless people. I've seen people who use their battle to destroy the church. God doesn't love me. Look at my father, look at my mother, look at my children. God can't love me. The battle's making you bitter. If a battle truly makes you better, you can bless people in your pain. In my life, I've come to a point where even though I may disagree, I've accepted it. And I've come to a point in my life where I said, God, let my battle bring you glory. And allow your battle to make me better. You will notice that verse 22, when David draws near and the people are drawing near, you can only imagine the story, right? Put yourself in the shoes here. Verse 22, look what it says. Then all the wicked and worthless men. What? What? You know who the wicked and worthless men were? The people who went to fight with David. That's, that's weird, huh? You know why they were wicked and worthless? You know why? Because they don't want to bless their brother. The Bible calls us to encourage one another. The Bible calls us to experience things in our lives that are really going to help people. Verse 22, it says, because they did not go with us. Will we not give them anything of the spoil that we have recovered? Accept every man's wife and children. Just give them what belongs to them and let them go. It's like the prodigal son. Remember that story? Like the brother who's like, what is it? Give him a cow? Give him what? Dress him what? A ring? What? What? I've been here. I'm here all the time. Here comes this guy and you're going to give him. It's the, it's the same spirit. It's the same thing. Don't give him anything. I've learned that if God really does something in our lives, and we allow the work of God to really be fulfilled, then God will use you to be the work of God in somebody else's life. I really believe that. I can go to a parent or a family who's dealing with autistic kids now and love on them like I couldn't before. Yeah? I can go to a family who's dealing with a, a drug addict as a father. I can go to a family member who's dealing with a mother who's dealing with mental issues and needs to take pills to be sane. I could do that. I could do that now. Or 
I can get angry at God and be a bitter man and hate life and hate everybody else. But I choose David's route. But David said, my brethren, you should not do so with what the Lord has given us, who has preserved us and delivered us into the hands of the troop that came against us. When you are encouraged by God, you can encourage others. You know, the story keeps on going and going, and um, it's a tremendous story. Actually, in the next chapter, it says that David returns to Ziklag, and you can read that. It's probably the first verse in verse 31. Remember, what do we talk about Ziklag? What was Ziklag before? It was pain, right? So here's David blessing everybody, being blessed, and it's time to go home. How many people know what's coming now? God gave him the victory. God gave him back his two wives. God gave him everything he wanted. Everything's fine and dandy. And now he's going back to a place of pain, a place of pain. He's going back to Ziglag. And sometimes we ask the Lord, God, why is it that you do what you do in our lives. You know, it seemed like if um, David had just had a tremendous victory, and it is true, but now he's got to be faced with what was left behind. And that was his city, burned down. So here comes David, and he he's coming, and he, he blesses these people, and he's with his army, and they're all together together. All of them, and they, they come to Ziglag, and I want you to put yourself in their shoes. You know, you can't live off one victory for the rest of your life. You can't. It'll become stale. It'll become old. And now David comes to Ziglag. I don't know when he got there if... He started thinking about his pain. Oh, man. He's on a spiritual high. The Lord was faithful. The Lord answered him. The word that he brought forth came true. Lord, you told me to pursue and I pursued. You told me I would recover and I recovered. You said I wouldn't lack and I don't lack. And now he's here with everybody from his army and all his families. And now he's at a place of pain where there is nothing. The Bible says in chapter 31, as they come to Ziglag, someone comes to David says, David, I have news for you. But see, David had to go back to Ziglag, right? Where there's pain, where he needed to restore. It's awesome how God never allows us to leave anything undone. If it was me, I would have told David, hey, David, make the land somewhere else. But no, God called them back to Ziglag. 
because God wants to heal the pain. It took my wife about six years to be healed, Luke 7. David, go back to Ziglag. And I'm here to tell you guys to go back to that relationship, to go back to that place. Go back. I don't want to go back. I'm done with it. It was a season of my life. I'm good right now, Pastor. There's no way you could tell me to go back and say sorry. There's no way you're calling me back to go do that, Pastor. No, I am telling you to go back over there. So he encounters this boy at Ziglag. He says, David, I have something to tell you. And the place that dealt with pain, the place that dealt with hurt, a place where David probably almost lost his mind, here comes a word. Remember the word that God spoke to David back in the day that you'll be king. Remember that? Remember that word that God spoke to you. Don't ever forget it, man. Don't ever forget it. Well, I just can't see it happening. Well, just don't forget it. Man, put on Christ and get into his presence. Because now, when he returns to Ziklag, a place of pain where you don't want to go. Do I have any friends? A place where you don't want to visit. A place where God took you out of. A place that you claim to be free, but you're really not. A place that still holds back your praise. A place that still holds back your worship. A place that still holds back your forgiveness. A place that's deep down inside. You don't want to go back. But God says, go back, child. Go back. And now this boy, this, this person comes before David and says, David, I have news for you. And David's probably rolling his eyes. His men have their hands on their sword again. Who knows? They're walking on eggshells. Do I have any friends? Where it's up and down and you don't know what the heck's going on in this world. And you're just saying, God, hold me, hold me. And all you can say deep down inside is, stay strong, Leo, stay strong. Stay strong. Do you think I sit there and say, I have great plans. Oh, I have great dreams. Oh, I know so much. No, I'm saying to my soul, stay strong, stay strong. This is real. So the individual says, David, Saul's dead. Saul's dead. First thing he says is, how do you know? Who told you that? He says, I was there. I saw it. As a matter of fact, I killed him. So then he says, for not honoring the Lord, put the sword to this man. Because Saul was the anointed of God. So David, in his mind, 
puts this person to death. But what I'm seeing is that it took David to go back to Ziglag, a place of pain, a place of distress, a place that rocked his world, to go back to that place because the crown was going to be given to you there. See, David got the crown when Saul died. And it took David to go back to Ziklag and to be there miserable for the word of the Lord to be fulfilled. And I'm here to tell you that God will place his crown of promise in your life even in the midst of your pain. I don't understand it. I can't explain it. People come to me and they ask me for answers and I say, hey, I don't know. I don't know why she did that. I don't know why he did that. I don't know where you've lost your confidence and you've lost your ability. But what I do know is that God has crowned me in my most painful moments of life. He's crowned me in my most painful moments of life. Moments where I've lost my encouragement because of crisis. And you know, the devil wants to do that to the church. He doesn't care if you stay married. He doesn't care if you have children. He doesn't care if you have 300 people in church. What he cares about is your encouragement. What he cares about is a church that is confident in the ability through Christ Jesus. So today, I've shared my heart with you today. I've given you everything I've had this morning. I've shared scripture to explain to you to not lose. To not lose it, man. Don't lose your confidence your ability in the Lord I don't know where you're at here today I don't know if you're faced with your crisis here today I don't know where you're at today but I am here to tell you this to come to God this morning and say God I need you man put on Christ this morning and come before his presence you know and just come before him and say God I need you I I don't know God I don't know what to do Lord it doesn't matter if we're standing or we're not it doesn't matter what the case may be today if you're sitting in your chair here this morning and you feel like you're going through crisis or you're going through stress if you feel that you're going through it and you need the Lord come up if you feel that crisis or whatever enemy of encouragement has stolen your confidence and your ability. Man, come to this altar here this morning. God wants to renew you. God wants to renew you. Maybe you're upset. You're upset. God is just telling you this morning, I have a purpose, my child. 
you're at a place where you have no power, that all hell has broken loose in your life, and you feel like you're in despair, come to this altar this morning. I've asked the music ministry to sing a song that God has put in my heart as we just seek him this morning. Don't think church is over. It's not over. Now it's going to begin right about now. If you're here for the first time, God wants your heart. God wants you to draw near. Every moment of pain, it's just to draw near. Oh, Lord. Oh, Jesus. My God. Take over, take over, God. I pray that your Holy Spirit come, God. Oh, Lord. Let's all stand today as we worship the Lord. Listen, I'm going to encourage you this morning to lift up your hands. To fall to your knees to worship the Lord. Those people who are in the altar, I'm going to pray with you, every single one of you.